0: Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech.
1: This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne. Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. This is E2 Entrepreneurs Exposed, a podcast where we speak to all kinds of great entrepreneurs and creators doing amazing things in business and beyond, Today's episode is brought to you by Unbound Merino, offering versatile, high-performance, and sustainable clothing that is antibacterial and odor-resistant. It is amazing and comfortable. For more information on this company, go to unboundmerino.com. That's unboundmerino.com. What is it like to start a side hustle with a few hundred dollars, only to see your business grow to a multi-million dollar success story almost overnight? Ellie Geno is the founder and CEO of Booty Bag, an intimate subscription box for women. Her initial version of the company started as store-bought undies repackaged in recycled Amazon boxes with tissue paper and a love note. It's now turned into a full-blown brand and community of women, specifically a community with over 210,000 followers on Instagram who can't wait to receive their personal box each month. In this episode, we discuss the birth of the Booty Bag brand, Ellie's appearance on ABC Shark Tank, what it means to be a first-time female founder at the helm of a fast-growing success story, and much more. So with that, let's get to the show. Okay, so let's rewind back to the origins of Booty Bag. This is circa 2016, correct? How did you start and what did the first month of the business look like?
0: Yeah, I started Booty Bag as like a total side hustle before side hustles were trendy and cute. I had a side hustle because I was poor and needed to pay some bills. I mean, I was like just scraping for something. I had, you know, seen Birchbox and Ipsy, those big guys out there doing the beauty, beauty uh, monthly beauty boxes. And I loved getting it. I was applying for jobs. I didn't have a degree. I was 24 at the time. And no one would hire me. And, you know, the jobs I got were very industry jobs. Um, I was putting myself through cosmetology school. And so I had a few, you know, I was bartending, nanny, and I was doing those kind of jobs. And I needed something else. And so job number four, I was like, I have to do something that I can do on my own, on my time, between my other jobs and school and, you know, all these other things that I have going on. My parents are both entrepreneurs. I watched them my entire life run successful businesses, you know, start businesses, close businesses. It didn't seem, you know, hard. And I hate to say that, but I was so naive. I mean, I, I had no idea, you know, how hard it would be, but I just, I didn't see the nine to five. So for me, it was like, you want to make money, you go out and do it with your hands. I took that idea of like having a subscription. I wanted to do something that I could afford, um, product wise and do something that was more of a necessity. And so I came up with the idea of doing underwear in a subscription box. And for me, it was like, what was a low price item, something that I could also, you know, get my hands on, and <laughs> having no production supply, not a business plan, like just what could I, what could I buy and resell, you know, mentality.
1: You basically start this on a shoestring budget. You're not sourcing the product from any one manufacturer. You're essentially buying underwear and then reboxing it.
0: Yeah, going to the Nordstrom's rack and like TJ Maxx and finding the clearance underwear, Mm. (laughs) the cute ones, and then going home, handwriting the cards, putting it on social media. You know, trying to get my girl girlfriends at the time to like post for me. You know, pre-algorithm, and I was just getting new subscribers through social. And obviously, that's influencer marketing now, but at the time it was like we were calling it like uh, blogger bags. Um, So. You know, it's just funny because now you go to school and there's degrees and jobs and it's a whole thing. But at the time I was like, this is just the easiest barrier to entry as far as like I didn't have to pay for photography. I was just shooting it on my, you know, iPhone. I was using Instagram and the product was essentially free. I mean it was a couple dollar product because I was getting it in clearance bins.
1: That naivete and that scrappiness probably played to your advantage, I would think like if you knew more looking back, do you think you would have started?
0: No, I'm so happy for that experience. And I did everything so crappy in the beginning, like because it was like all I could afford and I didn't know any better. And I thought, oh, this website's so great. I put it together myself and like everything was good, you know, I, and, and as I like collected um, revenue and I was reinvesting it back into things that I could afford into the business. And, you know, I bought a, label machine and like just little things, but they felt like such great feats at the time. And I was so proud and happy to be having that experience that, you know, I wasn't tainted at all. Like now I feel like I have so much resources and tools that I could never go back and like build my own website and think I look, it looked good. You know,
1: did you build on Shopify initially?
0: First was Wix. Um, but I, I was over in Shopify relatively quickly um, within like the first couple months. It, Shopify is just so like so handy. I mean, for no coding experience, you can build yourself a site within a day.
1: It's come a long way. I mean, even in the last five years, just as we look back 2015, 2016 era, their backend subscription billing solutions just weren't there. Okay. So you mentioned Birchbox and Ipsy, circa 2016. There's also tons of momentum in the subcommerce space around this time, like Bark. Uh, Bark and Company raised, I think, 60 million in new funding that year. Hubble Contacts raised its first big round. Dollar Shave Club obviously was sold to Unilever for a billion dollars. So there was a lot of momentum. Were you motivated with what was going on with some of these other players? Uh, looking at what Undies was doing, who were directly obviously big pioneers in your category. Who are the inspirations?
0: Interesting. Yeah, no, I wasn't. Because, you know, kind of going back, I mean, I think in the last, so in the five years of having the brand, I think in the last two and a half, I've realized that I had a brand. And that sounds a little bit naive, but I was kind of just, you know, getting by day by day and doing my to-do list and focusing on like what I was building so much that I wasn't really, even looking to build a brand, I was just looking to kind of make ends meet, invest back into the business. And it was very like basic and rudimentary. I was so heads down in the business, I wasn't even paying attention to what other people were doing or even realizing what I was building, I think, too. And I just remember distinctively like my personal shopping issues and experience was uncomfortable. I never related to the like Victoria's Secret angel aesthetic. I felt awkward and I, I just wanted to change that. And I wanted to create, you know, that community on Instagram that resonated with me and my girlfriends, which was an everyday woman, you know, working multiple jobs or, you know, going to school or doing whatever and wanting to feel good. I was just really focused on what I was doing and not too much looking around at what those big boxers boxes were doing. And also, I don't think I ever thought my brand would be the size it is too you know i was very much like i think my goals were 100 people you know 100 subscribers 200 subscribers i was never even thinking this would be what it is now
1: just to paint a relative picture how many subscribers are you at now
0: yeah 50,000
1: wow on top of the 210,000 followers on instagram and that number is obviously climbing
0: yeah yeah it's crazy it is i mean it is crazy and it's just fun because, you know, I feel like the brand has really been created off of the community. And I'm just feeding them what they want, you know, and giving them the product that they're asking for. So it's been really, really fun. It's been a journey
1: you mentioned that in the last two years, you realized that you've you've built a brand. why Why do you say that?
0: I mean, I'm not joking when I say I wasn't paying attention because um i I had I had a huge mess up. And I just remember thinking, like, wow, I don't have enough knowledge, education, background to be running this. Like, I, I don't know where I can get my hands on, you know, I only had Google and Google took me so far. And so I was looking to join an entrepreneur group. And so I joined EO. And in order to get into EO, you had to have like a million dollars in, you know, top line. And I was like, oh, what do I have? I mean, I don't like that. And I said, so what in and like, looked at Shopify and was like, looking at my year end sales and I think we did like 3.5 or something and I was like whoa like (laughs) okay I didn't even realize that we you know passed a million yet I was so heads down that I wasn't even paying attention to you know what was coming in.
1: Mm -hmm. So EO is one sounding board Uh, I imagine your team is another one how has your team grown since 2016 and where are you at now?
0: Yeah team has always been really small uh i have a i have a fabulous team i I have to say i am so so proud of my team. There's only five of us on the team, and all women always has been and um, most of them have actually been around for the last three years now
1: is that um, intentional sorry um the all women thing
0: um interesting enough it never was intentional um but i think And I don't even know if I I can say it's intentional, but no, I mean, kind of, I guess. I mean, it's just, you know, at some scale, once you start hiring, of course, we're going to have to hire men, but, um, (laughs) you know, being only five of us right now, yeah, it's nice.
1: Do you crave the physical office thing? Like, do you think post pandemic you'll look for a space and bring some people in?
0: No, I mean, I never had that urge. I, I Personally, I like to travel a lot as well. I mean, obviously not during the pandemic. So for me, you know, having a remote team and a flexibility was a core value of mine. Um, so I also like to have you know the team take take advantage of that as well. So for us, I mean, I'll see them you know at conferences or we'll do retreats or virtual hangout. Um, I think that kind of fulfills that category.
1: Hmm. Um. I want to ask you about Shark Tank, but before I do, I just want to wrap up on the whole social media thing. Um, Just got a couple more questions in this regard. So given your experience on Instagram over the past five years, how has the algorithm changed and what can you share in terms of how other D2C businesses should be thinking about using it to their advantage?
0: Yeah. I mean, the algorithm is a beast and it changes so frequently. I mean, I think every six months, like as soon as you think you have it, your grasp on it it changes and for us I mean we had like no growth for the longest time just like just barely just keeping steady like a little slight uptick um, and we couldn't figure it out and and there's not a you know direct source of where you could go to understand this but I just have to lean into being authentic talking to your community taking surveys you know for us we're trying to migrate them into our customer portal. So, creating them a new experience where that we have a lot more ownership of. You know, we have the text messaging, we have the email marketing, we have other ways to reach them. And if if we're releasing a new product and or X, Y, and Z, we can't depend on the algorithm to you know represent the brand or to show the brand fully. We have to lean into those other channels. So, for us, you know, we're building out an experience for them that they can come and do on our website that allows them to interact with us because the algorithm is just so touch and go. You just never know. And so it's hard to depend on that. But yeah, I mean, just creating that connection. I think there's a lot of brands, you know, trying to be authentic um, and trying to build community right now. And so I just think you just have to figure out who your target market is, who's not your target market and allow people to, um, you know, give their opinions as you grow. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now.
1: At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. you started this business with yourself as the target customer. Is this a good startup strategy in general?
0: It's interesting because the target market when I first started was obviously younger. It was 18 to 24, 24 being like the absolute cap. And um, I'm almost 30 now and we're seeing the, the shift actually go 24 to 30. So the brand is growing with me, which obviously I pick out the designs. I run the community aspect. So it makes sense that, you know, I've, Matured and evolved, and so has the brand, which is exciting because I think you know there's so many other stages that we can still get into. But I mean, I'm so in touch with what's going on, so you know it's not, I don't need to like get a persona going and then jump in and be like, Oh, you know, what are what's the market say the research is doing? It's like, no, I know where they're going, I know what they're doing, I know who they're talking to. I know what brands they're looking at. Um, I know what festivals they're participating in, so it's just easy to tap that because it's just like I'm talking to one of my girlfriends.
1: So this idea of having Instagram be this very, very key acquisition pillar for you guys. when you talk about or think about the next version of community or social, do you think about, you know, where, I don't know, TikTok is headed as it relates to your
0: business? I still think TikTok's kind of a fad scenario, but who knows? I I might be wrong. We have such a good base on Instagram. I would just love to get away from that and create it on our, you know, with between our blog content and our website, because I just think with any channel, you're going to have this issue of such a pay-to-play, and so you're you're always combating that, you know, ownership of like views and engagement and you know, if you're not paying for ads, you know, they they don't favor your account as much. So you're always going to be battling that, whether that's Instagram or TikTok or Pinterest. So for me, it's like, how can I take ownership of that? And also, I think, you know, we do a lot of surveying and, and interaction with our customers on Instagram. If I can put that on my website, I can start collecting that data and use it will definitely always be on those channels. It's the way that you funnel them in to the brand. You can engage with them and create community with them. It's been awesome, but the next level is to really have ownership for 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 us as a brand.
1: How does like what does ownership look like? How do you nurture the relationship? Are you communicating directly through email? You're using Instagram, obviously. What else?
0: Yeah, um well, we're building it out on the website. So there'll be like an interactive portion of our site that they can engage with us, you know, between voting and chat and blog content. And, you know, we're, we're launching into having a podcast. So we're just trying to give them that engagement and community without having it be solely on one channel um, and just migrating them to us. You know, I haven't done it yet, so I'll have to report back on how it goes. But Because we release new product every month, they're very interested to know what they're getting.
1: Okay, so engagement is obviously an important factor. You talked about the challenges related to Instagram and the algorithm evolving, et cetera. There's other challenges that remain in this industry. What have been the key challenges that you've wrestled with and solved? And what issues do you think need to be addressed more broadly in order for your company and others to thrive?
0: Well, I think across... I think for any e-comm business right now, shipping is a nightmare. I mean, you see it, I don't know how much online shopping you do, but every <laughs> every platform that I shop on, company-wise, is like, you know, COVID-19 or, you know, you're impacted by X, Y, and Z. I mean, the, their mail, because everyone wants e-comm so quickly, like, you know, the postal service just cannot keep up. And so everything's just crawling to get to the consumer, which, you know that's obviously our our issue our biggest issue just being on that monthly cycle of like how to get it to the consumer fast enough every year it's such a big price increase just that shipping you know line item that it's it's making it hard to uh, to maintain okay
1: let me ask you about shark tank so when did you go on the show when was that
0: exactly like 6 months ago
1: hmm all right uh middle of the pandemic then you're at home you what are watching the show and then you decide i should apply
0: yeah literally so in true booty bag fashion no planning went into this i was drinking wine on the couch Uh i was watching shark tank and i was like well booty bag could do this i'm gonna apply i probably had three glasses of wine i barely (laughs) remember like submitting the application like what i had put you know i mean it's like a fairly easy application did it on my iPhone. And um, two weeks later, I got a call. I was convinced that I was like, I must have filled out a spam application because I, what's the chances that I get a call, and especially like that quickly? Like all of it just seemed bizarre. So I actually had the woman hang up and send me an email and verify that she was with Shark Tank because I was like, nothing like this happens to me. I was like, I, I you know, before I give you all this information about me and my business, can you prove that you? Work for Shark Tank, so of course, sure enough, she works for Shark Tank. Then I was embarrassed because I was like, "Oh God, did I blow my chances here?" <laughs> she was like, "Um, you know, no, like totally understand like how exciting. um, you're in the next round. blah blah, here's what it entails. And so actually, from that moment to when I went to go pitch, it was only about thirty days, so I ended up quarantining in Las Vegas for Two weeks, fourteen days in a hotel room.
1: Wait, before you go on, before right before you go the on. show. Mm-hmm. Huh. Okay.
0: Yeah, and they had the best. I mean, the the production that went into making the ones during the pandemic. I mean, had to be world class. I mean, we were staying at the Venetian Hotel. You were completely quarantined. You were like checked when you got in, um, COVID tested you know, COVID tested every two days while you're in the room. And like, they wouldn't even let you walk the hall. Like, so you were just stuck in a Vegas hotel room.
1: So 14 day quarantine elapses and then shoot day. What happens?
0: Yeah. Well, it's funny too, because you couldn't leave the hotel room. So like even to do your practice pitch, it was virtual. And so they like drop off like a iPod stand and you have to like, bring it in and plug it in and, you do your pitch with them. and um, So you never meet any of the like casting crew in person until the shoot day. And so you've worked with these people for like, you know, 30 days, almost every day. And then when you're waiting to pitch you're you know, you're talking to them via FaceTime or whatever. So they come and get you because now you've done like four or five painful COVID tests. Um, and so you're obviously COVID free. And then they get you into a bubble. And then that bubble is like all the staff. So you got down there and... They walk you out onto the Shark Tank stage, which although we were in Vegas and they usually shoot in L.A., look identical to what it looked like on TV. So they really nailed that part. But they walk you out one time. They say, "Okay, you're going to stand here on this X. And when you say what, you know, one, two, three, you're shooting.
1: It's live. Are you the type of person that thrives in that kind of environment? Like when you're standing on that X and you're looking out and you've got... Mark Cuban's there, right? Kevin O'Leary, Kendra Scott. Yeah, I forget who the other ones are. Barbara, yeah. Um, Barbara. Like, is there a mo- is there a moment of pause? Like, is there a moment of like, holy shit? What's yeah. where am I, I right now? That. Like, I can't believe this.
0: <laughs> I think I said that on TV. Yeah, no, I mean, I I can barely. I've been on panels, multiple plan- panels, and like. They go to hand me the microphone and like my name doesn't even come out. It's not my thing. And the chances of words not coming out were very high. So I was freaking out. But I just figured, you know, you it's all about taking risks. And so I was like, listen, this is my chance, right? Who gets to do this? And it's a great opportunity and I'm prepared and... I think I have a great business.
1: You get offers from more than one shark, right? Including Kendra Scott, who started that billion-dollar jewelry line. Um, similarly, with just a few hundred bucks in her pocket. So she could definitely relate to your story. You you ink a deal with Kendra. Like, you walk off the set. Are you celebrating? Like, what's going through your head?
0: I, I mean, like you said, like, it was just one of those moments where I, I sat there and I was like, I can't believe I'm doing this. I mean, I've been watching this show, like... Every entrepreneur for so long, and seeing these people and like actually living it was like one of those moments that I was like, you know, I I want to make sure that I hold on to this forever because that was probably the coolest moment in my life. Because of just like like you said, I just feel like what a journey to be there and just for the brand and the the women that you know support the brand and work for the brand. It was just a really cool moment.
1: What happens to your community numbers? And your inbox within one week of the show airing.
0: Yeah, it kind of felt like you were living your funeral. Like everyone was so happy for me. It was the coolest thing ever. Like, you know, they wanted to like reach out and say, you know, congrats. I saw you air. So that was kind of cool. I mean, it was kind of shocking how many people actually watch Shark Tank. Yeah, it it has died down greatly from then, but it definitely felt like a fake celebrity moment for sure.
1: Do you think that's the turning point in the business? Is there another turning point? Like when you look back on your last five years, what are the key
0: moments for you? Yeah, I think about, you know, hitting the the three million mark because that was the first time I kind of, you know, looked at revenue like we chatted about. And then Shark Tank was huge. It just validated what we were doing. Um, And I don't know if I needed the validation. I think, you know, to some degree, it's nice to have, but It didn't change, you know, our day to day and it didn't change, you know, how we were viewing the business or our projections or pretty much anything. It was just like a nice, steady growth of, you know, what you would kind of expect from a PR placement.
1: Do you ever feel lonely, like as a solopreneur, as a female founder that's had this much success so quickly?
0: You know, I it's kind of the same thing when people are like, you know, the work ethic They're like, you know, you work a lot. And it's like, well, I don't really know any different. So for me, it kind of feels like I wouldn't change it. So I kind of like being solo.
1: This was so much fun. Um, Bootybag.com. That's B-O-O-T-A-Y-B-A-G.com. On Instagram, obviously on Pinterest now. Where else can folks connect with you or your brand, Ellie?
0: Yeah, I mean, Instagram's the best channel. That would, yeah, we read every single comment and DM and I actually read majority of of them as well. So if you ping me there, I will definitely see it.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate everything you shared and best of luck from here. Thank you. That's it guys for today. Thanks so much for listening. E2 is brought to you by Scriberbase. Want to build recurring revenue for your business? Visit Scriberbase.com for more info. If you enjoy the show, download, share, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also visit us at glow.fm slash e2 to become a supporter. Until next time, make today count with whatever it is you're working on.